Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. We're joined this week, I'm delighted to say, by former Reds and England midfielder, Jeff Thomas. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Yeah, no pleasure. How have you been? Lockdown and everything, uh, has it been tough? Is it just you and family uh, out there in the sticks somewhere? Well, we, we are fortunate. We've got um, a, a plot around us that's probably about half an acre, you know, so we can escape the house. But um, my mother's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Um, just before this was, yeah, just before all this sort of kicked off, my, my sister was a nurse, and so she they live up in the in the north of Manchester, and so she was panicking, you know, what we're going to do with my mum, and so we've had my mum since, you know, just before the the lockdown started. So it's it's you know given me a, a different um, outlook on what people have to do day in day out, you know, with. 24-hour care and everything, and uh, yeah, no, everything's fine. But it's 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 tough. It's tough for everybody, mm-hmm. isn't it, at the moment? But it's um, like I say, we're fortunate. We've got enough room, space to get out, especially in the early days. To and we've been blessed with the weather as well, haven't we? So yeah. it's uh, only the last week or so. It's been a bit dull, but um, yeah, no, all good, all positive, really. Have you been watching much football now? It's back. And have you missed it as a former player? Are you someone who kept strongly in touch with the game, or have you drifted away from it? Um, I'm more of a, a football fan now. You know, um, when I was playing, I was it was my life, hundred percent. Every single minute of of the day was concentrating what was coming up on the Saturday or midweek game. Um, but since then, you know, other things have taken a priority in my life and um, it, it does take a back seat a little bit now. But, you know, I think every game that's been on TV so far has been on our TV. Do you miss the game? And obviously you've been retired quite a long time. <laughs> is, it, is it hard not being a player anymore, even after, what is it, 17 years or so since you retired? I, th- I think any footballer tell you that what you miss is that day-to-day contact with your fellow teammates, that, you know, that dressing room uh, humour. Um, that's what you do miss. Uh, and you do miss uh, that sort of excitement of Saturday, the big games and everything like that. But, you know, I was a footballer for 18 years. And I look back at my time, I think it's similar to Stuart Pearce, really. I was a, a apprentice electrician like Stuart. And when you come into the game a little bit later in life, you, you appreciate every single minute of it. And it's not a proper job in many respects. And it's, while it lasts, it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, when it's finished, you're just grateful like you've had such a long time in that, in uh, something that you love doing. You talk about that day-to-day contacts and that dressing room. The dressing room you were in at Forest, that had some proper characters <laughs> in, you know, with Rogers, Crossley, Besson. Andy Johnson, everything I hear about him, he was basically mental. Um, <laughs> so what, what was that dressing yeah. room like that you were in at Forest? It was uh, different. And I think 
it was it was a mixture really because I think you, you could see the history of and the legacy of Brian Clough. Mm. Obviously, we're still there. He just departed the year before. Stuart Pearce had taken over as caretaker. And Stuart, when I arrived, was still there. And so we had the likes of Ian Wong, um, Steve Stone, Mark Crossley, who had, had, you know, had, had known nothing else but the, the Clough way, really. Mm. And then you've got a character like Dave Bassett coming in. And they brought a couple of characters in that dressing room that just, you know, made it sort of tick totally differently, I would imagine. You know, Alan Roth, as you mentioned, complete lunatic as well as Andy Johnson, you know, and uh, and it just mixed really well, actually. After a, a couple of sort of um, weeks, maybe pre-season, where people were sort of having their own opinions of, um, you know, getting it out there, but it, it seemed to settle down and, you know, the, the season went really well. You know, we, we had the, the likes of Pierre Van Oudonk and uh, Campbell up front, which was quite a force. So it's uh, looking back, it was a decent time. Good time. How did you end up there? Did you know how Dave Bassett well from through your career or not? I mean, what was the, the process of you ending up at the city ground? No, I didn't know Dave at all, and um, I just my last game for Wolverhampton Wanderers was in a playoff game against Crystal Palace. And uh, to be honest, I was just getting back to full fitness. I'd, I'd done the cruise twice at Wolves. And, you know, I was obviously coming to the latter end of my career. But I, I felt I was just getting back to some sort of fitness um, at where I could probably at least go another couple of years. And Wolves were, were changing, you know, I'd changed and. Uh, probably about four or five times while I was there. Uh, unfortunately, I was more of a spectator while I was at Wolverhampton. Uh, they changed the managers so many times that, you know, a different guy came in, he had different ideas. So when my contract just ran out after four years there, so Dave just wanted, I think, a few people that he'd heard of, had a sort of character that he wanted inside his dressing room. And, you know, from my days at Crystal Palace, I think I was a captain down there for six, seven years. And similar, it was like, you know, strong characters in that dressing room. Likes of Ian Wright, Mark Wright and Andy Gray and the likes. And mm. I think he wanted somebody who could come in and, and not be scared of what was already there. So I think that's, you know, just a conversation I had with Dave. It was, I, was, um, I was quite looking forward to the challenge of going to, a club with a great reputation. I always like playing there at Forest, and you know, I, the football fans there are, are very knowledgeable. And uh, yeah, like I say, loved every minute. Um, I'm sure a, a few fans were taken aback a little bit when I, I, I signed, but um, like I say, I tried my best every time, as always, when you go on the pitch. That first season couldn't have gone any better, really, could it? You really yeah. dominated that league. What are your kind of general memories of that season? I just felt I was um, getting fitter and fitter. And, you know, I, I, I think we... Was there a home debut that was on TV against Norwich? And I think we absolutely smashed Norwich. And we'd had a decent pre-season. And it, we we seemed to... You know, like I say, the characters that were there from before, Steve Stone and Ian Wall, seemed to enjoy what was going on. And we took that on the pitch. And I, I think we started off really, really well. And I thought I was going to be 
uh, like a bit part player, but uh, um, you know they signed Andy Johnson with quite a bit of money, and I just started enjoying it that much. That you know, unfortunately, I, got, I think I scored a, a couple of goals against Sheffield United, and my hamstring—I just tore my hamstring—and mm. that put me out a little bit. And so that's when the, the season sort of was in and out. That's the season for me. I don't know how many games I played, twenty odd games for them, but uh, that season. But um, no, like I say, I was still enjoying football for what it was, and you know, grateful that we're, I was playing promotion football all the time. Every time I, I went onto the pitch, it was with the likes of Pierre Van Hooydonk. You know, who's scoring some spectacular goals. Oh, there's always Van Hooydonk questions whenever anyone comes on from that team. What What was he like in the dressing room? Was, was he a, even before he went on strike? Was he a, a, a tough character to deal with a bit of a mercurial genius or not? Yeah, he was he was um a player that, you know, he had so much ability. And he probably had less ability than he thought he had. You know, he was <laughs> <laughs> um I found that the, the Dutch character is very sort of confident in themselves, in their own abilities. Uh, uh, and yeah, he definitely had that. He had um, but that, when everything was going well, um, he was fine. He was mm. fine. He, and he, he he had ideas. That's where his character showed coming to the end of the season. He started having ideas what next season the club needed. Right. You know, and, and I think when you're dealing with the characters like Dave Bassett, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to work because he's, he's, you know, he's been in the game for so many years that, you just felt this is going to, it's not going to end well. And, and it didn't, you know, when, when a player goes in with a list of players that we should be signing, is You know who was on the list? Uh, I think they were all probably Dutch, Dutch, <laughs> Dutch um, sort of, you know, played a couple of international games and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But it, yeah. Yeah. I think. That team obviously, you know, Van Hoy, Van Hoy, Duncan Campbell kind of stand out as the stars of that team. But you also, you had Wone, you had Stone, yourself, Gemmel, Johnson. That, that was a good team. Did, did you think it was too good for the championship when you arrived or not? Uh, to be honest, I, I knew that that league was a battle to get mm. out of. And you need you need quality, but you also needed uh, the physical side as well because it's tough. That's, there's no easy game. Mm. As in like the premiership. Every game, you, you you have to be at it to get the points. Um, and I, uh, you know, to be honest, that when I went to Forest, I thought it was always a little bit of a light touch. If you you've got about them um, around that period, you've you've got a chance of coming away with a result. And I think just a little bit of added steel in there was uh, allowed, you know, with the likes of Johnson. And you get the mix of John Old Tank, and then with the people like Chris Bart Williams and Gemmel, you know, that that mixture is it just makes for a, a great side. You know, the, I'm going back even further, the great Liverpool side. They always had a great mix of of uh, guts and um, but also that ability inside the side. And that blend is is the formula for any successful side. Was it, I don't know if crazy gang's the right way to describe it, but when you had characters like Tank and Andy Johnson and Dave Besson, who'd been around Wimbledon, was it a, a fairly unique team spirit that you had or not? Uh, no, it was. It was It was, um, It was. was always sort of bubbling along. You, you just didn't know what was going to happen next. And 
yeah, I think the manager wasn't sort of off limits when it came to uh, all the <laughs> all the, the crazy things that were going on. But you know, he, he liked that. He liked having players enjoying themselves on and off the pitch. You know, and I think um, for that year, we, everything went well. And like I say, when things are going well, you know, it hides a few cracks. And I think when it came to the end of the season, you know, the cracks started to appear and. And unfortunately, I think, you know, if we kept that squad together and added to it, um, it, it would have done okay. You know, I always remember the first game down at Arsenal. Mm. You know, we had Pierre, you know, down there, Mike, and obviously Kev as well. You know, it, it, the side was, was sort of the goals were taken away straight, straight away before we even had a chance of doing anything in the Premiership. You scored a good goal in that game and then you won. Did you win the next two, I think? Did you feel like oh, I'm actually we might be all right? Yeah, no, I thought, yeah, Coventry, I think we we beat. And, um, yeah, I thought we were solid enough. I, you know, we, Steve Chettle and um, the guys at the back, who else, Colin Cooper, you know, it's great experience. Mm. And um, Big John Helder, you know, we had... We had enough quality there to to um, to be strong enough, uh, but you know, losing Pierre and having that sort of atmosphere around the ground and people asking the same old question, "When's he coming back?" Uh, was frustrating for everybody. Mm. Great shame, really. When you look back, it was a great shame we we couldn't really sort of keep the momentum going from from the season because we felt like we could beat anybody. To be honest, you had Darsfield come in, didn't you? And he well, was. I mean, he was rapid, but he looked very raw. Did you think that if he'd been with Pierre, then actually that might have been a decent partnership, even without Kevin, do you maybe? Yeah, I think Dash was, like you said, the word raw, that's probably bang on what he was, but he was willing to listen. And and that's the difference with Pierre. I'm, I'm not sure Pierre would have had the patience to, to sort of nurture and um, cajole him along um, Kev would have done mm. but uh, like I say everybody's character is different and um, yeah Pierre and if we kept Pierre and Kev together that would have been different Dash mm. then would have been fantastic to chuck on for half an hour you know and and you know he was so so quick yeah I mean I remember that game he went away from Keel and he, he actually had the ball mm. never seen that Martin Keown was quick and this this guy was rapid. Did you feel, as that season wound on, did it feel like it was getting away from you? Was the dressing room struggling to stay together until Pierre came back and then it probably got even worse, I guess? <laughs> no, it was a case of... Um, I went, I, we went down to Stamford Bridge and my, my season was finished at Stamford Bridge. We, I did my cruciate there. And mm. So I started watching the rest of the season from the, the physio's room and from the gym. And you, when you, you're down there, you, you constantly seem to be getting injuries to key figures. And Steve Stone was out for a while. And we, our promises weren't that bad. Mm. I always felt we weren't that far away. But then as soon as that confidence, that little edge, you lose that little bit, then results start turning against you. And that's what happened. We, you, you find find yourself bottom of the table. When you're around bottom at Christmas time, it's tough to get out of there. What was it like when Pierre came back? There's been a lot said about it. I think he's said maybe that you're one of the few players who 
called him out for his behaviour. I mean, is that true? And what was it like when he did return? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I was holding the tooth as well. And I think, you know, you, for me, football's all about respect. Mm. And you respect you, you, everybody at the club, you know, fans and you respect to management all the way down to, to the tea lady. And um, what he showed to the rest of the players was, you know, it was like, you're saying you're not good enough, guys. And everybody can have that opinion. But keep that to yourself and just try yourself. You always should be trying the best for your your, your own career. But you should have the mindset to where you want to help the team. And he just sort of chucked that away as soon as he, he saw us getting to Premiership and he wasn't getting what he wanted. Mm. He chucked it away, you know, the opportunity of playing in the Premiership. And it's, it's a shame because... As a character, he was a nice guy and everything, like I say, when everything's going well, it's everything's fine. Mm. Um, but he had it in, he had like a bee in his bonnet where he, he wanted things to be different. So when he came in the dressing room for the first time, there was a lot of players that just didn't want to talk to him. But what needed to be said had to be said. So, you know, I, I was vocal enough to, to say exactly what the lads were, were thinking and it was time to move on, mm. you know, and... Um, but the atmosphere was always going to be different. You know, it was going to take a, a good while because I, I think the club had to start winning pretty quickly um, to turn things around. But we didn't get enough results. You know, things did improve slightly, but we didn't get enough results to to really sort of forget what had gone on before. What was it like when uh, Bassett went? I mean, he bought you there. Was that were the players pretty gutted for him? I guess. Uh, I, I think so because it, it felt like it wasn't in his control it felt mm. like his, it, the hand that he was given um, was probably a, not the one that he was thinking he was going to have at the end of the season prior to that so um, yeah I think even you know the, the Forest guys who, you, who have been there for quite a number of years were gutted as well mm. um, but yeah that, that's football you know it's a results game and it's uh, the players have to just get on with it then. Is he a bit of an underrated manager? Because he's got this kind of the reputation from Wimbledon and they're playing the long ball type stuff, but you didn't really play that, did you? It was more horses for courses. You think he deserves a bit more of a respect as a manager? Not that he doesn't get respect, but higher standing in the game, perhaps. Yeah, no, I think well, inside the game, he has got that sort of um, acknowledgement where, you know, Alex Ferguson was one of his his closest friends in the game as well. You know, they, they, what Dave had was great knowledge of, of of players, not just in this country, but even before. You know, the, uh, so many foreigners are playing in this game now in in the Premiership. He was well aware of what Scandinavian football was, what Italian players were like, Spanish players. His knowledge was vast, and when it came down to his style of play, he just he was very honest. He, he played to the what he had in front of him. If these players weren't, you know, like the Wimbledon days, you're not going to get Vinnie Jones doing pirouettes in the midfield and, <laughs> and this sort of thing. You, them sort of characters, you've got to have a style of play to suit the style of uh, football that they are or the quality of footballers you've got. At Forest, he walked into a dressing room where there was enough quality to play football. Mm. And that, that season, we got promoted. It was some really good football, some great games and, and like you say, we 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 walked that league really. We we probably um, took our foot off the pedal a little bit and started to relax a little bit sooner than we should have done near the end. But yeah, it was a, it was a good enough um, players in that 
in that dressing room for days to see that it could change what that perception was of this long ball. And I've had it as well with Steve Koppel, uh, Crystal Palace. He had a reputation of being a bit direct. But again, when you've only got two or three players at the start when he went into the club, he, he knew that he had to play to a style that suited the players. And as, as things improve and players improve, then it, the, 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 that type of football you know, slowly started to change as well. But there are a few underrated players uh, within that squad, like uh, Chettle and Wohn and Scott Gemmell, who probably should have got more international honours than they did, do you think? Yeah, I, I don't think they're underrated. I think um, they were solid professionals. Roney was like, you know, he's, he wasn't blessed with um, pace, but he was like a t- Teddy Sheringham sort of player. Mm. You know, very, very knowledgeable about the game and and what he would be great for. Um, Scott Gemmell, similar. You know, he could see a pass that nobody else could, could see. And likewise, Chris Bark Williams, you know, great feet. And and then you got the, the the power and the pace of Steve Stone. You know he he run through a brick walls just to get you know to uh, to the byline. So it's yeah. Chettle was um, I think just being such a nice guy. I, I think he went under the radar a little bit because he wasn't a, a shouter or anything like that. He just got on with the game and. He, he had a good partnership for you know a good few years with uh, Colin Cooper. Are you in touch with any of those guys now, or, or and many too many players from your career? Are you still mates with a lot of players? Um, it, football's one of them things here, especially the game I'm involved with now. You know, with uh, trying to raise awareness and funds for charity and all this sort of thing, you do call on these sort of characters now and then. Mm. Alan Rogers, I've been in touch with because uh, I've, I've seen he's been quite vocal on certain blogs and uh, yeah, and he doesn't hold back. He's uh, <laughs> you know, and, and I've seen actually I saw um, strangely enough that Andy Johnson was very close to in the days at Forest, and I haven't seen him much at all. But from yesterday. You probably wouldn't recognise him. He looked quite well, actually, but he's uh, well, a little bit waiter. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to find police, Andy Johnson, within that dressing room? Just to nobody could police Andy Johnson. <laughs> nobody could do that. He was a law to himself. He he could do what he wanted. He got away with it most of the time. Most of the time. <laughs> when we go back to that season, obviously Dave leaves and Ron Atkinson comes in, kind of a yeah. different kind of manager. What was that like? Did you think... Oh, this is this is not going to work. Or did you did you think actually we can still get out of it when Atkinson when Big Ron came in? Ron came in and he, he showed what he was all about. Really, probably one of the first couple of days training, yeah, a little bit of a round. I was just getting enough to sort of show my face on the training ground, and it was like a five aside to finish the training day. Mm. And have you seen the film Kez? <laughs> yeah, there was a scene from that where uh, the, the PE teachers, the referee, as well as players, and um, Pierre Van Ondoink was uh, the kid that got sent off in that in the Kez film. You know, it was like, they were just mad, bad-mouthing each other as, as that long walk home from that training ground along the bank of the Trent. You know, Ron was telling Pierre to go and Pierre was turning around Chucking back, you know, swear words at Ron and everything like that. So yeah, it was um, 
Ron's baptism at the at the club was 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 tough for him because uh, obviously the results didn't go that well either. And even trying to find the right dugout took him uh, took a while. <laughs> Do you think he was a bit doomed then himself coming in, Ron, with the situation as it was? The club was in a bit of a mess, to be fair, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, the, the club just needed to settle down in, and he needed somebody of, of that character and that reputation where the players knew what he's done before. And, mm. you know, so he had, he had that respect as soon as he walked in. So that's what it needed to sort of try and get it back on a, some sort of the right path. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, the, the club really took a while to recover from that. Mm. He brought a couple of players in like Carlton Palmer, who I've listened to being quite a tough character as well. Did that not really work? And how did how did Carlton fit in? Yeah, Carlton's Carlton. He's another one of these guys. I mean, I think uh, he was at Sheffield Wednesday with Big Ron for a number of years. Mm. So he knew what he was going to get with Kelton. And Kelton, again, was one of these guys in a dressing room that was larger in life. And as I say, I do speak to Kelton now and then, uh, even now. But, uh, yeah, he's, it, it was going to take quite a bit for it to turn around. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, honestly, I, I was watching the, the side sort of struggle on weekend, like all the fans were. You know, it's mm. frustrating that I was watching it. But, um, yeah, I'm trying to think it, what some of the players that he did bring in as well weren't up to, can I say, weren't up to the mark of changing it round, maybe for the future. But I don't think, I think Ron was a short-term fix. Yeah. Um, but he, I think he was starting to think more long-term and the players we're bringing in, he would have had to work with, but they weren't ready. So that's why I don't think things turn around that quick. When you you leave at the end of that season, was that inevitable? Was that uh, were you keen to stay or stay on, even though they'd gone down or not? I'd love to have stayed. I mean, I love Nottingham. Um, I love the club, um, but I knew, like I say, I got injured. Did me PCL cruciate at um, uh, at Chelsea, and. I was never fit for the rest of the season. So, you know, I was just on a short-term contract anyway. So I couldn't expect another contract. So Dave went up to Barnsley and followed Dave up. You know, he was daft enough to take me on for another year. <laughs> you went with a couple of... The Chettle went there as well, didn't you? There's a few... Yeah. Exodus there. Chips. Ian Wall went there for a while as well. Hmm. So, yeah, and Barnsley got into the playoffs. You know, we're not far off. Um, so, yeah, going back to what you said about Dave, he, he had a he had a great way of sort of getting a, a good dressing room pretty quickly and he did the same again at Barnsley. So, even though you didn't play as much as you would have wanted in Nottingham, was it one of the, the better chapters in your career in terms of enjoying your football, enjoying the city? Was it a, a good time? It, it was definitely a time where, I, I, you know, to be honest, I had no regrets in my football career. I just mentioned before, I had 18 years in it. Mm. And Forrest, I was living over in, the, in, I am now in the West Midlands. And I was traveling every day across to Nottingham. And then as soon as it, there was a chance of getting premiership football again, and talking to Dave Bassett and saying, I mean, your plans if we do get promoted. And as soon as he said yes, I moved over and, and ended up living in Nottingham for four years. 
because mm. I just really wanted that opportunity of playing at that top level and against top level players again. And and it, like I say, for the for a year, for more than a year, it was going well. And I think just getting injured personally obviously stopped that. But um, you know, a depleted side with uh, other injuries during that season in the Premiership, it just meant it wasn't strong enough to to carry on. But I look back and it's with no regrets whatsoever at, at Forest. And I knew my time was up as well because um, actually uh, when I was at Barnsley, I was up there for nearly two years and Dave Black came to Forest. Actually, I talked about coming back for a little while at Forest because he wanted a, a, a few people in the dressing room, but that just didn't happen. Mm. Um, he ended up going down the, the Italian route. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you know, Dave was just starting out in his his management career, and um, I'd been with Dave when we were teenagers at Crew, where we both started more or less. Uh, Dave was obviously started in Man United, but uh, we were at Crew Alexander together. So we and we played at England together. So we knew each other really, really well, and he just knew what I was about and. Yeah, we just had a discussion, but I probably wasn't fit enough to to get back into that that side at the time. Do you see Forest as a Premier League club in in waiting still, or have they been out of the top flight for so long now that the game's changed a bit? No, I, I, I think there's a, a brand of clubs probably top half the Premiership, and then the rest is is them, and probably a good half of the Championship. Capable and big enough to play in the Premiership, and Forrester definitely one of them. You know, it, it doesn't take much; it just takes you. Uh, you know, there's a new owner or a, a manager that sparks something a bit special, and then a club can find themselves doing ever so well. Look at Leicester. You know, you know. Sorry to mention Leicester on this uh, <laughs> podcast, but you know, they're a great example. Things can change pretty quickly. Mm, true. Um, since you've left the game, you've done a lot of charity fundraising. Uh, you playing? You're not playing in a tournament coming up. No. You managing? Have you been sacked from being a manager? I heard you. Well, it's a, yeah, there's some skullduggery going on at the moment. I've been sacked. I've, I've, my record's not great over the last two years. Yeah, there's a charity called Cure Leukemia that do a football tournament in St George's Park every year, and it's growing and growing, getting stronger and stronger. So. Um, yeah, we're get, trying to get about 30-odd teams there this year. So, yeah. looking forward to that. Copperdale Cure Leukemia. It's 16th of October at St. George's Park. It's a six-a-side tournament, but one of the players can be a legend. You've got some good players on the list, haven't you? Darren Bent, Kevin Phillips, people like that, Matt Letizier. Keep reading that list. Francis Benali and, uh, yeah, I think Chris Sutton's going to join us as well. Yeah, the, the names are, are coming quickly at the moment so yeah it should be it's, it's, honestly it's a great event it's a full day and there's a there's a bar there as well so <laughs> <laughs> so I think hopefully by the end of uh, mid-October the, this you know what's going on with COVID-19 will be relaxed enough where everybody can have a good time cancer takes a big impact on your life I, I've been told I've got cancer and it's not it's no fun obviously you don't know how you're going to react at the time but uh, I'm fine now, and t- you touch wood, you're fine now. But can you just tell listeners what kind of an impact it has on on your life and your family in particular? You mentioned the word cancer, and it just takes you back to 
the day probably like yourself it's it's a really scary word to be confronted with and i actually july the 4th 2003 i was told that i probably only had about three months to live mm. um and i had a form of leukemia back then was a, more or less a, a, a death sentence if you couldn't find a match to have a stem cell transplant and i was fortunate to find one pretty quickly in my sister and my sister's match was good enough so with the skills of the professor he, he um, went through that process took about two years to recover but it, it it makes you look at life totally different with the family and everything the girls were only 10 and 7 mm. and all I wanted to do for about three months was make sure and understand that they were going to be looked after if it didn't go well and you just reevaluate everything so now that's what I say about football. When I look back at football, I know what I'm remembered for. My my chip against France, I, my, I will live that forevermore. But that was just a part of a great experience, 18 years. Loved it. Loved playing football. And as soon as you, your life's under threat, everything is magnified. Mm. What's real, what really means... The most here and the most is your health and your family's health and I think everything else that goes around uh, around your life at that you know at that time is it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and that, that's how I try and live my life now you know try and be positive about everything because being negative and just waking up in the morning in a grumpy mood is just draining you might as well wake up with a smile and just appreciate what the sun's shining and you're getting on with life and crack on and just do as well as you can. Leukemia has touched football in quite a lot of of ways. There's a lot of people who seem to have had it. I mean, you, you'll keep fundraising for as long as you can, will you, to try and make a difference? The reason I'm, I'm still involved with it because I, I got close with my professor and he's uh, one of the top guys in the UK. But his vision is something that's took a while for people to really understand what it's all about. So Kill Leukemia, really, the charity that have started to fund this network that allows clinical trials mm. to be accelerated uh, to benefit patients. And we've seen this with COVID-19. Our structure has been replicated to fast-track a trial that, in a matter of weeks, it found out it reduces uh, the risk of death from this. So that's what we're saying. It's such a simple process that we've set up. And it, the funding does take, uh, you know, over a million pound a year. But it's a, a simple process that unites. Um, it's like building the, uh, a great team from the best teams in the Premiership. And that's what we're doing with the, the NHS, bringing together the different trusts, the different uh, hospitals that have the skill set to deliver what we need, answers to, to this, you know, dreadful disease. So... Well, I've got the passion and trying, I can see things moving forward. I'll carry on doing what I'm doing. And while the charity feel I've still got a role to play, play and the doctor's not fed up with me saying, right, what next? Then I'll <laughs> continue doing what I'm doing. Would you ever get back into football if someone said, do you fancy being a number two at this club or anything like that? Or is that not something that interests no, I, I, you? No, you love playing with that idea in your mind. Uh, Aidy Boudreau, uh, A.D. Boothroyd was a good mate of mine and when he was at uh, 
a number of clubs he, he used to invite me down to watch them train and all that and get involved with the characters in the dressing room just you know to see how people tick and then give my opinion on certain things that were going on in the pitch but that was just like it as a mate mm. but um he did chuck a few carrots at me a few times saying if I got a bigger club would you come along and all that sort of thing and that just sparked off um mm, yeah uh, yeah, I won't mind that at all. But um, no, my, my, like I say, when you, you've been out of the game for such a long time, there's generations of different people that have come through the system mm. that are probably more in, more in touch with what's going on. You know, I'm probably old school now compared to the rest of the guys that's, that are coming through now. How do you see the game now then in terms of the way players are? Is it a totally different culture, even though you've, you've only been out of a dressing room? It's not been that long, to be fair. Is it a totally game now? I don't think the dressing room... Well, I, I say that. I think the dressing room has changed considerably. Um, a lot of my mates are managers. Uh, one of them, obviously, Gareth Southgate, I played at Crystal Palace for four or five years. You know, you, you speak to these guys and Alan Pardew and the likes, and it is a, a, a totally different thing now. Players... And, you know, in some ways, if I was a player today and the way players look after themselves and get looked after, mm. I probably wouldn't have got the injuries I had because I used to chuck myself out onto that pitch every Saturday. I'd have injections to make sure I was fit enough, um, cortisone injections. And, you know, that, that wouldn't be allowed now, what was going on back in when we were playing. So I think players are more of an asset now. Um, and clubs look at that way you know as soon as they're not doing as well as they should be then you're, you're probably out of the door um, and players probably are looking to do as much as they can in their career in a shorter time than we were doing I think we just wanted to play football mm. and just love playing football and just the, the financial side was a bonus mm. I think it's changed now I think people are chasing that that um that big wage packet, you know, you can see kids. It's a different drive. What when you see him on the park? It's a, I want to be a professional footballer. Football's attached to it all, rather than just loving it. Mm. The, the special players that are coming through still now are the ones who actually love it, and they're not affected by by what the the, the attractions is all around you know. Uh, great cars and big houses and all that so that's not their drive and that's why they're the great players uh, Steve Chell's been a guest on this podcast and I asked him would you wish you'd been playing now for the money and you know I'm sure you made a decent living but are you envious of the crazy money that's in the game now he, he said yes very much so by the way did he? Did yeah. Well, I thought it might. Yeah, no, I, I'm not because I think with that money becomes a, a totally different responsibility where you're on stage and you're on show all the time. And I think with social media now, it, it, football, we, and Nottingham was a great place. They had, the, the, I think, my experience in Nottingham Forest was a Christmas um, get-together. You know, uh, Cloughtree had started it, and mm. I, I'm not sure it still goes on today, but you get in early, you'd have a glass of champagne, you do a five-a-side, and you go out as the club all together. Mm. And and I think we were even bottom of the Premiership 
and we all went out in fancy dress, you know, and didn't have anybody sort of coming up to us saying, what are you lot doing out? You know, the fans were still coming up and saying, oh, you know, what's happening next Saturday? And the lads were just enjoying Christmas for what it was, you know, getting and having a good time. But um, I think today you'd just be lambasted for anything like that. You, you, players are seen totally different now from fans as well. There's, there's not that connection anymore. And that's what I liked about playing football. I love the connection with the supporters every even when things weren't going right, I love the, the banter with fans and all that, you know, and try and prove some fans wrong sometimes and enjoy the, the good days with them as well. What's the night like? What's the night out in Nottingham like with Alan Rogers and Andy Johnson and those lads? Terrifying or not? You always have to have the wits about you, that's for <laughs> sure. No, it's um, many a times where we had to put Andy Johnson in a taxi to get him back to Melton Brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good luck. Good luck. Good memories. Excellent. One of them things that uh, stay in the, in the dressing room. <laughs> well, thanks very much. Um, we'll plug your charity plenty, Jeff, but uh, it's Copper Del Cure Leukemia. Uh, teams, I think, are 2,750 quid for a team. But like you say, you get a lot thrown in with that. A dinner, a few drinks, a day at St. George's Park, special guest appearances and the like. So... Uh, COVID disclaimers included, obviously, but it should be a good. Yeah. One. So thanks for joining us, Jeff. Yeah, just say uh, Ray Parler's um, speaking as well on the night. So yeah. Oh, this is one of his after dinner speaking things. God, he's got some stories about Tony Adams. Jesus. Well, thanks for joining us, Jeff. We do appreciate it. If people no problem, uh, enjoyed this, then do like and subscribe as usual on Apple iTunes and YouTube and Spotify and everywhere else. Uh, leave us a rating. And we'll be back uh, next week. But thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure, Jeff. Really interesting. Thank you very much. No problem at all. Anytime. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Yeah.